Boom. And we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winter, and I'm here as always with Dr. Bear Paul Lando coming to you live and direct from the beautiful Smith River up here in the great state of Jefferson. Man, it's been uh, a couple weeks uh, of beautiful, amazing weather. Uh, it's been a little cool and then it's uh, beginning a little smoky. Um, but uh, we are loving life up here in the river every day, hit the coast yesterday, um, and it was gorgeous, 78 degrees on the Oregon coast. You just can't ask for anything better than that. And uh, we are in harvest time for our Jiao Gulan, um, you know, peak summertime, some of my favorite days, picking, at, picking fruit every day, um, just living the farm life. It's just been amazing. Uh, we've had numerous visitors up to the farm uh, from the co-op, and we are just having a blast. We want to thank everybody who's supporting Alpha Vedic. Uh, if you're new to this uh, podcast and new to Alpha Vedic, you can find out all about us at alphavedic.com. That's A-L-F-A-V-E-D-I-C.com. You can join our awesome online communities on Telegram at t.me forward slash alphavedic or on Discord at alphavedic.com forward slash Discord. And the one of the best ways to support us besides purchasing our products, if you're, you're in the States, but if you're even outside of the States and you want to support us, you can go to Patreon and go to patreon.com forward slash um, alphavedic and join our online co-op. We have a private Discord uh, channel for that. And uh, we have two different membership options there. And it's a great way to not only get discounts on products, but even if you're out of the, the country, which we're not sending products to, um, we still um, fill that Patreon up with uh, all sorts of exclusive content and um, a lot of free, really cool, trippy eBooks and all sorts of wonderful stuff from the esoteric and the occult to uh, really alternative healing modalities. Uh, I just put uh, uh, stuff about Mundras up uh, last week. We, uh, uh, what else? Just all sorts of interesting um, content to really um, keep you guys entertained. So um, I'm going to be putting more really cool content up this week too. So check that out, uh, co-op members. If you haven't checked the Patreon in a bit, uh, that is patreon.com forward slash Alpha Vedic. Okay, today we have a, a guest that really personifies everything Alpha Vedic's about. Soul Luckman's in the house, and we are going to go deep on all sorts of really fun and different content. Uh, Soul is really somebody who <clears throat> is doing it all, and somebody who uh, I am recently discovered, and it's just, uh, yeah, been uh, very cool to dive into some of his books and also really tap into everything he's been doing on the health side of things. So Sol uh, is here today and um, I'm looking for the uh, bio of him, but hey, Bear, why don't you take it take it on from here? Cause I am, my computer just kind of froze on this side. <laughs> uh, how you doing Bear? Uh -oh. Yeah. I I'm doing great. Um, let me see if I can uh, find that real oh, quick. Sorry, I got it, so I, I, I got okay. it, I got it. So Soul Luckman is a, together here. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, is a pioneering visual artist, award-winning novelist, and humorist, and a best-selling author of nonfiction books on health, spirituality, and consciousness. As an accomplished ink and acrylic painter, Soul offers a glimpse of this universe of intelligent energy in his artwork as objects condition space with their essence and vice versa. And the outside conflates with the inside because all is one. 
By the way, Soul is a fan of the Law of One material, which we are as well, which we've discussed on the podcast. So we might tap into that a little bit today. Uh, Soul's international bestsellers span fiction with Snooze and Callie the Destroyer, nonfiction works such as Conscious Healing, Potentiate Your DNA, and humor uh, slash satire with The Angel's Dictionary, Musings from a Small Island. Uh, in his bold, colorful compositions, three of which have been featured on the covers of Itzhak Beery's The Gift of Shamanism, Shamanic Transformations, and Shama Shamanic Healing, Soul is committed to exploring and depicting energy. His vision of the world could be called shamanic in its appreciation of the underlying conscious vibrancy of all things visible. Building on a deep dive into lucid dreaming, parallel universes, and Hindu mysticism, Soul's new novel, Kali the Destroyer, a finalist in both the New Age and Visionary Fiction categories of the 2021 International Book Awards, is a page-turner of a sci-fi tale set in an Orwellian future, seated in the dystopian present that radically rewrites Gnosticism, as well as the origins of the Earth and humanity. Wow! Bear Lando, how are you today? Doing fantastic, and I'm really pumped about this uh, this interview today or, or chat. You know, we really don't interview here. You know, Mike, you and I don't. We don't get a list of questions and follow a format. We just kind of wing it because we like just the idea of some uh, you know peeps sitting around and 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 you know having a good talk. So, uh, so great to have you here, Saul. Now, you and I have been talking for a few months on and off, and uh, I, my only wish is that we would have recorded some of those because they would have been amazing podcasts. And, and I think a couple of times you, went, uh, you and I went off for at least a good hour or something. And just so wonderful to talk uh, to somebody like you. You're not only eclectic and very talented in all of uh, you know, every form of art that there is, but you have that innate uh, ability to see between the lines, but then also in your personal research, understand why it's possible to see between the lines and maybe help other people do the same thing. So, you know, I couldn't be more excited uh, to have you on. You know, we have a lot of great guests here, but um, like Mike said, you personify everything that we just love to talk about. And um, so I have a list of things here, you know, uh, creating your own reality, sound healing, uh, get into language, uh, the fragmentary body, um, and, and, you know, and, and least of which we want to, or, or not least of which we want to talk about your book, Kelly, the destroyer. Um, I don't want to get too far into it cause I'm midway now. And uh, it's, it's, I was in bed last night, you know, it's really a page uh, turner and, you know, you have such a great talent for writing. So I'm, uh, in the, in the middle of, uh, the adventures of juice and Cali and I, have a, a lot of great um, kind of empathy or, or just kindredship with uh, Dr. Caliandra, you know, uh, uh, Callie's mom and everything. So I just love the way you, you put everything together. So um, maybe the best place to um, start everything is just tell us a little bit about your own journey, how you got to present time. And I've, you know, met a lot of people in the healing arts and all the schools I've been through that started their journey with their own health challenges. And, uh, you know, you had a little bit of a similar history. So if you wouldn't mind sharing as much as you care to, and, and we'll kick things off with that. But thanks for being with us. And, uh, you know, really an honor to have you today. Oh, the honor is mine. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, I, I'm a big fan of, of your show and your work. And, uh, 
you know, I, I don't know how many times I've, I've, uh, I've shared your, your content online and talked about you and recommended people, you know, who are suffering their own health issues, go check out your world. And so, you know, it's really, really cool to actually be, be here having this conversation. And it's nice to, to finally connect with you too, Mike, I've, I've, I've wanted to, uh, you know, talk with you also just, you know, you, you have so much insight in, in the quote unquote interviews that you guys are doing. So uh, it's, it's great. Uh, thanks, man. Yeah. You know, I'm a huge fan of uh, sci-fi and fantasy as well. Grew up reading, um, of course, uh, uh, Robert Jordan and George R. R. Martin, but then also into the more sci-fi stuff as well. Uh, and so I think uh, I can't wait to jump into this new book. And uh, Barry was showing it to me in the office last week. And I'm like, I want my hands on that. So uh, as soon as he's done, he'll pass it on to me. And I'm really looking forward to jumping into that one, as well as the other one you wrote about the cryptids uh, or about Bigfoot. Uh, I'm, I'm blanking out on the name of it again. Um, it's it's uh, Snooze. Snooze. Yeah, Snooze. Story of Awakening. Yes, that one is right up rally. If you've listened to any of our shows where we go into Bigfoot um, and our experiences up here with Sasquatch, uh, that one uh, really reigns uh, uh, supreme to me on the list here of ones I want to read. Yeah, I've been I've been <laughs> releasing that as a as a serialization on my blog and, and and including a recorded version of it. I'm not reading it. I'm using software for that but but that's that's free i think i'm up to t chapter 25 out of 84 chapters it's you know the short chapters but you know it, they go it goes quickly and, and i see bear down there to, uh, showing callie the destroyer oh yeah nice. so uh i'll just say something here so i show up on the screen so while we're talking about it here's uh the book and i highly recommend it again a real page turner i'm loving it and uh you know, want to talk about it today, but I uh, don't want to hear the end either. So, uh, all right, yeah, great, we should do that. Great fun, yeah. So, um, so go ahead, yeah, you take it away, Saul. Well, you know, I, I, I have a background in literature. I, I was in graduate school studying literature. I was, I was uh, trying to uh, write a dissertation, get my, get my PhD. And I got sick from from what I call in Cali Jacksonations, right? I, I took some travel Jacksines, <laughs> and uh, you know, before long, I was I was down the rabbit hole of uh, of a very mysterious autoimmune, for lack of a better word, illness. And uh, and I spent many years trying to get well, doing a lot of things, spending a lot of money, and not really making a lot of progress. I I I made my biggest breakthroughs prior to my work with Regenetics, when I did two things. One was I, I studied Qigong and that helped get my energy back up so that I wasn't you know, a chronic fatiguer. And then I, I started doing uh, allergy elimination technique work. And that helped for a while until I kind of plateaued and started getting worse again. I think it kind of fried my nervous system after a while. So uh, I, I ended up having to create my own healing modality to get myself well. And that's a, that's a long story. And I've had to kind of write the books that I want to read in terms of fiction. <laughs> so so it's, it's the same thing repeating over and over again in different areas of my life. Uh, not, not to say that there aren't other good books out there, but I feel like we we're way out of the classical period now. And with the publishing industry being essentially a subsidiary of the CCP and, uh, 
you know, it's just a disaster. So there's just not a lot of good content coming out of the mainstream. And it's hard to find people in the independent worlds because you just don't want to wade through a bunch of bad writing. Uh, just, just, just to put it bluntly. And, yeah. and maybe, maybe that's, that's why people would have some skepticism about reading my work because I'm self-published. Now I, I've been offered publishing contracts and I've had my work translated and, and that kind of thing. So, you know, it's, um, I've been doing, I've been, you know, this is not my first rodeo. I've been doing it for a while and I've had a lot of good reviews. So I'm starting to, to reach a slightly larger, larger audience, but it's, it's hard as an indie, as an indie artist or an indie writer to, to reach people. Um, I don't think I totally answered your question, uh, Bear, but I, I did mention that I had a literary background and then I got sick and developed a, a healing modality to kind of get me over the hump. And that was a real turning point in my life that happened, uh, you know, a decade and a half and change ago, maybe a little longer than that. Um, maybe closer to two decades now. And since then I've, I've been doing the healing work, doing the art, doing the writing and uh, trying to be as much of a, of a Renaissance man as possible. Although I see you guys out there doing all of this crazy permaculture and all this uh, intentional community stuff. And I'm pretty jealous. <laughs> um, I love, where, I love all that. And I just don't have access to where, it. I'm just where are you, where are you at? So uh, generally you don't have to say specifically, but where, what region are you in? Oh, I'm living in St. Augustine right now in Florida. I'm just, uh -huh. I'm just North of the uh, genetically uh, engineered mosquitoes. Well, you are surrounded by bright, beautiful people down there of our friends that are really leading a lot of the uh, sovereignty charge in Florida, the Kelly Brogans and Sayer G's and, people there that um in florida that are really doing it and there are communities popping up left and right down there and i'm jealous because you can grow whatever the heck you want down there yeah that's true this climate is pretty <laughs> pretty darn forgiving hey, i would love to hook up with with sayer and kelly at some point i you know sometimes it's hard to reach people when they're really busy on their own platform and stuff and i've, I've had that that crop up you know occasionally you know pun intended i guess crop up but, uh, you know, so I would, I would welcome any, uh, any uh, introductions or anything like that just to be able to network a little bit more. And Florida is a really good place to network right now because all of these, all of these freedom conscious people are, are fleeing, you know, COVID-1984 and coming down here. So that's, it's, it's making for a, a kind of wild place in, in many ways. Yeah. Can I say, can I say one thing? And then I know Bear has some comments here, but you, you know, what I love about your story about your healing uh, journey was how you got the information. Did you want to touch a little bit on that to our community? Because I feel like that is something that uh, is a um, <clears throat> is a constant and uh, a theme amongst those who um, are really developing revolutionary techniques and and modalities in both healing and arts um, is this kind of illumination. You mean, uh, you know, what, what Greg on higher side chats called my contactee experience, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. <laughs> that, that was sort of new to me, but cause I always thought of it as just uh, a spiritual experience, but you know, he was on a very different wavelength with that in terms of uh, what might've been uh, showing up in, in, in my, in my field to give me that information. But well, short story is that, that my partner Lee and I went to Brazil, we were guided by spirit, our intuition, our guides, whatever you want to call it, down there when I was really sick and thought I might be dying. And 
we had a series of really bizarre mystical experiences. A lot of them involved weather and weather spirits. It was all very shamanic, very strange. I, I have this memory of wading through literally three and a half feet of water during a flood in Ilhéus, Brazil at one time when we were trying to do something. And it's like, you know, many of the, many of the things we encountered were obstacles, things that were seemingly trying to stop us from doing what we were there to do, which is always a good sign. It's the same thing on social media. <laughs> you know, you're doing something right when, uh, when some of these forces are coming after you uh, that are being manipulated perhaps from other realms. And while we were in Brazil, I, we were given instructions one evening to go to this this uh, er, this beach in the area of Brazil where we were, and we had a, an experience where we saw these lights come out of uh, come across the water and um, and shine into us, and then and we were kind of illuminated and lit up by this energy, and then it then they went away, they went off, and we were kind of stunned, and we went home, and and that night we dreamed and we began getting these codes these linguistic codes based in vowels that we were given to understand we were to chant while thinking them in a, in a certain way and we i think of that as a combination of sound and light and we were to use this energy to stimulate a self-healing potential in dna and when when we did that that's when i finally started to heal after years and years of trying everything in the world and having very limited success. And then we began sharing it with other people and they began having all of these really interesting, um, you know, experiences. I mean, it, it, and it just, it really goes on and on. I, I just, you know, occasionally I, 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 I'm foolish enough to check my reviews on, on Amazon, you know, and, and just today I, I checked in on, potentiate your DNA, which is the, my how-to guide for doing this work. And, you know, just out of the blue, someone had left a review saying, uh, calling it life-changing. Is that, no, is that it? No, that's not the one. Let's see. Yeah. Life-changing. Uh, I went through the uh, potentiation more out of curiosity than necessity to see if it would possibly help a friend who was severely damaged from Jackson's. Halfway through the nine-month time frame, I bought the book to more fully understand what I was miraculously experiencing. I was detoxing from things I never realized I had problems with. The book is very well written and explains clearly what you're experiencing during this life-changing event. I have since potentiated my friend using the sound codes in the book. She is feeling the shifts very strongly in detoxing in multiple ways. And while being uncomfortable, it is an uncomfortable she describes as being positive. She says, um, uh, she says it's like she can feel the toxins that have plagued her for a decade exiting her body. I've now finished the, the nine month process and the second activation in this, in this process. I'm feeling stronger than I remember feeling in a long time. Do not delay. So that was just interesting. That was, that was wow. just today. We have added both those books to the Alpha Vedic book list, by the way. So if people are interested, you can help us out and help out Soul by going to uh, alphavedic.com forward slash book list or at the top of the list, both the books. Which one would you recommend beginning with, uh, Soul, with uh, Conscious two. Healing or go right into Potentiate Your DNA? I, I think Potentiate Your DNA has... has um... A lot of what you need. I mean, certainly, it's it's it teaches you how to do the first activation that you can do for yourself and other people and pets and businesses and gardens and all kinds of things. And 
and it doesn't it doesn't get bogged down in a lot of the esoteric and metaphysical aspects the way that conscious healing does a little bit in my opinion that you know just looking back on a lot of people like conscious healing i mean it's certainly been a successful book but potentiate your dna is much more to the point great um so thanks, you know, for thanks for listing that i really i really appreciate that oh our pleasure yeah, we, we've opened the door to so many topics there. So I guess maybe we'll start with DNA, if that's okay. Um, you know, DNA, uh, in my mind, is, um, you know, in engineering, we call the dual impedance antenna, which means depending on how you move the rungs along the parallel lines of the DNA, then you tune into different, you know, bandwidths of perception. I like that. Uh, different informational fields. And, uh, you know, we work with that all the time in radiesthesia. So um, maybe not a good idea to alter <laughs> the DNA uh, by getting jaxed, uh, but that's another topic we'll probably hit on here. And also it would explain how, you know, what I really believe and in my own experience is true that, you know, when you want information that then you can put to experience to become knowledge eventually, um, you really don't have to open a book. Uh, you can just get a direct download. You know, I had a similar experience when I was nine years old. Um, and at that point in my life, my mom got sick and left the planet. And, 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 and I had uh, something that uh, I won't get into detail, but kind of a phenomena that, that happened that uh, changed my perception forever to this day. And uh, since then, just able to kind of get information in different ways and even remember things in different ways, which became very helpful through my academic career. So um, if you could uh, possibly, you know, just lead the way into a discussion as far as what that means to you, you know, starting with uh, what you think DNA really is, what we're doing to it these days, and uh, how it is possible to just receive information in a much more efficient way. Well, I would, I would totally agree that the DNA is a, is a malleable antenna. And it can be improved and, and it can also be regressed. And, and so they're, they're, that's what the Jacksonations are doing, in my opinion. They're basically tuning you away from source, away from inspiration, away from personal sovereignty, away from creativity. You know, are they messing with the God gene? Maybe, um, you know, but, you know, the good thing about it is that, that all of these things in theory can be reversed. I mean, the science of epigenetics alone provides a mechanism by which our own thoughts and feelings and environmental stimuli can, can switch genes on and off. And this can happen in a very positive way. So uh, for me, DNA is, it starts as a wave in time space. And as it materializes in space time here in the, in the, in the parallel reality to, to uh, to time space, it becomes what we perceive as a molecule, a structure of a molecule. And the same thing really does happen with, with atoms, the, the, the basic atoms that construct what we think of as reality. It's all ultimately holographic in my opinion. So we, we, we are holograms, uh, you know, inhabiting a holographic reality and hats off to Michael Talbot on, on that subject. That was a very important book uh, that I encountered years ago, The Holographic Universe. That's inspired a lot of people yes, uh, over yes. the years. <clears throat> so uh, my, my understanding is that, that DNA is like a two-way, it's a two-way street where we're receiving information from it, but we can also pass information back through it. And when you 
pass information back through it, it puts you in the realm of the of blueprints. The all of the blueprints for our reality would exist in in time space. And when you're in the realm of blueprints, guess what? You can change the blueprints. So if you look at the at the work of uh, uh, someone named uh, Peter Garayev, uh, a very interesting scientist who claims to have through a, the field of wave genetics to have actually altered species in utero or in the egg, like a salamander is a salamander until he gets over using uh, linguistics, linguistic codes and sound frequencies. And he does something to, to that little creature and then it changes into another species and is born as another species or is hatched. Wild, wild stuff. Wow. So he's over there changing blueprints. And my contention is that we have an energetic blueprint uh, ourselves. I call it the bioenergy blueprint and that it, it can get distorted by top, uh, primarily uh, versions of toxicity and trauma or combinations thereof. Now, sometimes this can also be ancestral and you can, you can have a distorted blueprint coming in. And that's, this is why you might have things like birth defects. But in theory, all of these things are changeable at the blueprint level. And so the, the, the work that I developed called Regenetics, starting with potentiation, was designed to go in there and massage out the distortions, in the, in at least the major distortions that, that the work could reach in the blueprint, massage them out, and then let that refreshed blueprint, that, this repatterning process, let that come back through the DNA into our molecular structure and our electromagnetic, uh, uh, our electromagnetic fields on this side, or the different sort of measurable fields as opposed, as opposed to the torsion fields, and begin changing the way we're functioning on a molecular and energetic level here. And my contention is that when you do that, you actually end up with a lot of what would, you would perceive as epigenetic changes where genes are switching on and off, but you're not really doing anything epigenetic to achieve those changes. You're doing something what I call metagenetic. You don't have to think positively. You don't have to believe in a certain way. You don't have to put yourself in a good environment necessarily. That there's something above and beyond even epigenetics where if you can reach into the blueprint it will change you anyway. Yeah. You know, I heard you salt mention one time on another interview that, you know, if you jump into, uh, you know, the mindset of a holographic universe uh, or the uh, all is one principle, you have to go all the way. And I agree with that because it is one understanding that explains everything. And uh, you know, what, I talk a lot about is how we're constantly trying to reverse engineer from after effects rather than understand exactly what you're talking about. And, um, you know, way back uh, at the beginning of my career, I created my first sound room, an acoustically designed sound room with technologies that were organic and otherwise, and, you know, very complex in the, in the, you know, the pre-testing and, and what we do in order to, discern the exact resonance that a person needed for, you know, whatever we're trying to achieve. And I know you've done a lot of uh, work with sound. So would you like to speak uh, a little bit on how about you go about that in your system? 
Yeah, it's um, you know what you're doing is is very scientific. You're 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 taking measurements. You're getting feedback, and and it's impressive. And, and I frankly, my mind doesn't work quite that way. I'm more of an artist with this, or an alchemist in, in, in this area. I know that you have a lot of alchemist in you as well. But what I was given was a, a, a linguistic response to how to use sound and healing. And uh, that, in, that involves using vowels. And you can, you can speak or sing these vowels and think them in certain ways that can create very, very profound changes in people and changes that actually roll out over a long period of time, like a nine month or even longer process. And and it just keeps happening. It's really quite extraordinary. And it's unlike anything I've ever seen with other forms of sound healing. Uh, It's just just different. I'm not going to say it's better or it's worse or anything like that. It's just different. And it's, it's less focused on symptoms and more focused on the blueprint. So in that sense, it's rather more holistic in the literal sense of that term. It's trying to, trying to address the entire blueprint that's giving rise to our current situation, our current body, our current mind, our current circumstances. So So, what we're doing is actually singing and thinking combinations of vowels. Interesting. This makes me think um, of like the the prayers and stuff like the Essenes would do, and and a lot of the mystics, right? <clears throat> Absolutely. I mean, Greg Braden, you know, wrote about this years ago. Uh, he has a book, I think, called The God Code. I think that's the name of it. Uh, but he's been writing a, around this subject for a long time, so it's very related to that. So this this is fascinating, and I want to understand a little m- bit more about this. Um, you know, I've studied language a lot and, you know, the original, what was considered in the keys of Enoch, if you've ever read that, you know, the original mm-hmm. fire mm-hmm. breath was the Hebrew language, which emanates from a much more ancient language that predated, uh, you know, the Hebrew culture by a long shot. Right. And uh, of course they had 22, um, not vowels, but letters in their alphabet, which I study. And, um, and then they had the absence of vowels and then have a little bit of a take about, you know, what happened when vowels came in. So is there anything you could help me understand about that? You know, why the vowels in particular? And I know those are actually the, the keynote sounds and it gets into resonance and, and a lot of things like that, probably. But what's your understanding? Yeah, there's a great uh, there's a great quote, and I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher it, but the the uh, let's see if I can pull this up. It's it's uh, an author named William Gray. Um, he wrote a book called the the Talking Tree, and the the and this is back in the seventies and he was writing about this subject about the, the, the vowels in these, in these ancient sacred languages. And he basically said that consonants gave words, their bodies, but that vowels put the soul in them. And if you, if you extrapolate that concept a little bit to say that, that consonants create maybe like a structure or framework, then the vowels are the energy. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, that's that's a great one. You know, in the periodic table of elements, there's these the keynotes that we look at as the major elements that we learn about in high school. But then in between, there's what we call transitional elements that kind of give the juice to the keynotes. You could also look at it in the universe that you're describing that perhaps is thought based, you know, that thought creates electrical events. Uh, but then those electrical events really don't manifest into our reality unless they have the juice once again and that comes through emotion and the interplay you know between emotion and um you know and thought so is is that sort of what we're talking about here yeah you know within the torsion physics model i i like to marry torsion concepts tor you know scalar torsion chi prana all of these kind of related notions of this hyperdimensional energy in in this model if you think a thought, basically you, it creates torsion energy, that electrical activity in your mind creates torsion energy that goes over into time space. And then it flows back through a unified field into our space time. So before it manifests, it actually goes through a circular process and it comes back around and reality is constantly being structured that way. And DNA in biological organisms, the connector between time, space, and space-time is, is the DNA. So if you want to get to space-time, you can use language, specifically vowels, to do so because the vowels actually align with our DNA in a specific way. I think of English, English is sort of the, it's the language of the world now. And you could say that all the languages of the world and of history have kind of distilled down to English in the, in the present uh, in the present moment. And I don't mean that English descends from all of those directly in terms of uh, linguistic trees or anything like that. I mean that on some kind of spiritual metaphysical level, everything has boiled down to English because that's where we are with the internet and the kind of a global mind that's being constructed. And it's related to not only the AI side of things, but also to the spiritual side of things like the noosphere this consciousness of the planet or around the planet or the morphic fields that we're surrounded by. So in English, you have five primary vowels. And when you kinesiologically test those out, they, they align very directly and unfailingly in my experience with the five nucleotide bases of DNA and RNA. Trippy. Makes me think of uh, yeah. uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Uh, a -E -O. <laughs> it's very like that. And in fact, when you're singing potentiation, it can sound like that. Interesting. So, um, and I want to know, say I one do more thing there because that, that proto-language that you were mentioning, that it would be even more ancient than, than Hebrew or perhaps Sanskrit or these other, other, other sacred ancient languages, is what I refer to uh, following William Henry and some other thinkers as the language of the birds. And that was a vowel-based language. And, and I believe that was the language that was used to create everything. I believe we were the universe was literally spoken into existence. And it was spoken into ex existence by vowels. And when it became a universe of separation, as opposed to a unified, more like a Garden of Eden experience. When we, when we experienced the fall, that happened through the insertion of, any guesses? Consonants. Consonants, yeah. Because they break the flow of energy. 
and they separate things into discrete elements. They compartmentalize. Interesting. So um, that brings to the next thing. Uh, this is my conspiratorial brain acting here, but I kind of have a hunch that our language, English that we speak uh, these days is really been altered in a way so that we are, are, we are articulating sounds into the ethers there that create a reality that perhaps uh, somebody else wants and not necessarily the one we want. And I'm, I'm right with you. I believe the human voice box is more sophisticated and capable than any electronics or any instrument on the planet. So I think you've got the real deal the way you're going about, about it there. We're just, you know, in my work, we're trying to reproduce things and test and, and go about it a different way. So, uh, so I think it's fantastic. But you know, the royals even talked about the English that was taught to the commoners. They called it dog Latin. And, um, and you know, I think this goes a lot deeper than we could realize. And that's why I think it's very important to understand the roots of words and, and really, uh, you know, getting into the origin of words and understanding what kind of sounds we're putting out there and what they really mean in the first place. Oh, you're spot on with everything you just said. I mean, uh, you can trace a, a lot of modern English back to Sir uh, Francis Bacon, who was actually Shakespeare. And, you know, that codified modern English, pretty much the Shakespeare plays. That was the beginning, really and truly, uh, for a lot of people of what we would consider to be modern co colloquial English. Uh, being written down and not only did you have uh, the the language being constructed in a certain way often based on uh, at very uh, specific legal meanings having to do with the way we're controlled by the planetary controllers through the legal system and the monetary system uh, words like understanding that you would think would be just a, just a normal neutral word actually means that you are putting yourself in a subservient position to higher authority. So you're understanding, mm -hmm. you're standing underneath something. And there's more to it than that. But in addition to the way that language has been, sh I think, shaped to steer us in a certain, in a, in a certain direction of thinking and of, uh, and of expressing ourselves energetically and socially, the, the, the notes that are used in our music have been modified uh, more than once to create disharmony in our energy fields and social interactions. So there has been a, a multi-generational, multi-millennial attack on language as a vehicle for, let's say, transcendence. And, and music as well. Um... Absolutely. You know, it wasn't until, who was it? I think Bach was the first one that dared to use uh, fifths in his music because that was banned by the Vatican for many years because it would create more of a continuity in our consciousness. And uh, so some they of call the- They called it satanic, uh, classical... right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, of... <laughs> yeah, of course, what they're doing is the actual Satanism and then keep us from the good stuff by calling it satanical. So, um, yeah, so much there to unravel. And, you know, I really love what you say. I haven't heard that before as far as the consonants, you know, creating the, more the compartmentalized mind, which opens the door to another whole discussion, which is, uh, you know, I think what we're 
experiencing on a planet now from my perspective is not bad stuff. It's just, we're seeing all the compartmentalization and just like any alchemist in the lab, you know, when I'm making stuff in my lab, uh, you know, I deliberately isolate all the components, bring them up to their original elevated uh, state of, uh, you know, the original blueprint, as you say, and then put it all back together into a more cohesive whole. So I think that's exactly what we're doing now with all this polarization and everything that we're seeing. So, um, so <laughs> yeah. in your own work, how would you, you know, describe how, you know, maybe you're going uh, about that because I have heard you address this topic as well. So is the question about how to, to uh, if you could just maybe rephrase the questions a, a little bit and I, I got, I got a yeah, little so, confused. Yeah, sorry, I, I'm, my mind kind of goes all over the map. So uh, maybe we just start with how uh, the compartmentalization starting with our language creates or contributes somehow to the compartmentalization in our consciousness, which is what we're seeing in the world today, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, I think that's absolutely true. I, I, I think it's maybe we should talk about like who's responsible for this. You know what I mean? It's uh, we a lot of people think that evil is some nebulous concept, but there are actually evil beings, I believe. And this is what Cali the Destroyer is about, who are behind these schemes to subjugate and ultimately destroy humanity. Great. Ar so let's like, go there. And the archons. Yeah, the archons. There you go. Yeah, so, I mean, you uh, have, Saul, you have somebody like Paul, Paul Levy, right? And, and Watiko, mm -hmm. the, you know, talking about Watiko. But for him, the what he's describing is the, almost like a, an evil wind that blows, that is some kind of nebulous concept. And I don't think that is the, 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 the source or the nature of evil. He, he almost says like a spiritual virus. Yes. And what I think he's describing is the human shadow side or the maybe not even just the human shadow side, but a certain shadow side that may exist in a world of duality that we that we participate in. But I don't think he is describing the nature of evil as we experience it. The nature of evil as we experience it is extremely it's, it's extremely well thought out. It's planned. It's followed through on for generation after generation. It, it has the same patterns, the same, the same ticks, the same, um, the, the same playbook century after century after century. It's always divide and conquer. It's always problem, reaction, solution. So what is it? What is that nature of that consciousness? Because what that is, that is a mechanical consciousness that's being described. It's not the human shadow side. It's not Watiko. It's the Luciferian uh, service to self. Yes, but what even gives so, rise to that? That's really the question. I, I you know, there's this, there's this, uh, there's this missing piece for me when you can't actually put a finger on it. And I know that a lot of in the Christian community would say, well, it's Satan. And, and we could talk about that too. And that, they're not necessarily wrong in that, but I would, I would, I would have to qualify who and what Satan is in that instance. Yeah, I, okay. I mean, I, I, I think the Gnostics uh, are pretty good with the Demiurge and the Archons and explaining from that perspective. And what's interesting is there's like a syncretic or, or there's a lot of syncretism between all the, the faiths and religions that there are entities that are have been here for time immemorial that are um, looking to co-op the, the grand design of nature 
for their own service. So who, what are those entities? Where do they come from? I think that's one of the, that's like what a lot of why we're here to figure that out. I don't know. Yeah. And well, in my, in my sort of, you know, syncretic research, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, I feel that most of those, those depictions of these entities could be describing what the Gnostics called archons. You know, the, a little, a little difference here, a little shade there, whatever, but uh, we're really talking about some kind of literally extraterrestrial force that has the ability to hijack the human mind and turn it into a weapon of evil against humanity itself. How does that, so how does that play into the law of one? It's very difficult to, it's very difficult to conflate the law of one and Gnosticism totally. There's just, there are just some inherent problems uh, with that. Now, when I say Gnosticism, the, the version of Gnosticism I'm referring to is the John Lashian version of Gnosticism that he began outlining in a, a really powerful book called Not in His Image. And in that book, he describes what he calls the fallen goddess scenario in which our planet is an actual goddess called an aeon, uh, formerly an inhabitant of galactic center with what we would perhaps call God, the originator. And she fell out of galactic center uh, after she had created the genetic blueprint for humanity. As she spun through space, she freaked out. She inadvertently created this race of half half alive, half Borg-like uh, beings called Archons, that were ultimately called Archons, who became her enemy and our enemy because they were intensely jealous of us because we were her chosen children. And before she turned into the planet, she actually gave a message to, uh, to the, the Lord Archon, the, the, um, the chief of the Archons that's recorded in one of the Gnostic texts called On the Origin of the World. And I'd like to read it. It's just a very brief little thing, but it speaks so poignantly and powerfully to where we are right now. I believe this is happening right now. She says, you are mistaken, blind one. He's the Lord Archon, the Demiurge, is also called Yaldabaoth or Saklas, and it's like, so she's calling him blind, and he is actually literally blind, though he thinks he's God and has created everything. You are mistaken, blind one. There is an immortal child of light who came into this realm before you and who will appear among your duplicate forms in your simulated world, and in the consummation of all your works, their entire deficiency of truth will be revealed and dissolved by this luminous child. So she says that, and then she becomes the planet and goes to sleep. And, and that's sort of where she's been ever since. <laughs> so we have been living in her dream world in a way. We're products of her, her, uh, her dreaming mind, as it were. Mm-hmm. So could perhaps all of this, including the archons be part of the original blueprint as uh, maybe a, an alchemical process of a grander design? Yeah, I, I believe it could be, but I don't think it was Sophia's or her consort Thelite's plan. It, I would chalk that one up to the originator. Mm-hmm. 
And it's full of all of these amazing reversals where you have all of these, all of these people all over the world, especially dating back to early Catholicism, worshiping this Old Testament God who is the perfect description of the Lord Archon. Yes. Yes, I've, I've gone deep into that, and there is a lot of linguistical ties, too, to uh, the Hebrew with, um, and the, uh, <clears throat> those, um, those more, uh, I hate to say demonic, but those entities that are darker. It, it, that is fascinating. And maybe with the Law of One, the idea is that in order for us to uh, have this experience, we've created this simulation where we have the, the dark entities that we are, to, are here to overcome, to be challenged by. And maybe they got a little, uh, maybe they've been able to manipulate the code in their own ways. And we've kind of, <laughs> when we're in this density, we've kind of uh, maybe lost uh, a little bit of the original design to them. I don't know. There's a lot of interesting interplay you can you can use with the law of one idea that we did create this for our own experience, but it gets uh, it gets muddled like uh, um, like in the Matrix where um, you know the uh, the original in the Matrix movies the the original guy who could control it uh, he kind of lost. If you look into the original why they write the the original screenplay, they had the guy who foretold that neo would be coming he was supposed to be the original neo and then he couldn't pull it off so i don't know there's a lot of interesting ways you could go about looking at this relating to the law of one material i i, I agree with you very much that this could be a, a product of some aspect of ourselves i mean when you go all the way holographically you don't stop until you become the originator that's that's who you are ultimately that is if you want to talk about unity consciousness or oneness ultimately that's where it all goes so some aspect of ourselves created this veil of soul making to quote keats you know that we're living through this crazy uh, spiritual classroom that we're in at the moment as a growth experience and in in, in that way uh, the aeons uh, sophia and thelite who created the human blueprint according to gnosticism would have been kind of used by the originator to get this get the show on the road and then she actually fell into kind of a a, a bit of karma on her own uh, when she came spiraling out and created the archons and so it's all it's all kind of a hot mess really but and we're and we're in the thick of uh, the the denouement of this entire story i believe and another place where I think you could make an interesting parallel to law of one thinking would be the, uh, this idea of the luminous child. The luminous child in law of one terms is the fourth density human. Mm -hmm. that's, my, that's my take on it. That, that's, you're actually talking about a density shift when you, when you change into the luminous child. That is an ascended physiology and mind. Yeah, and we've done shows with Dr. Edith Ubuntu-Chan who is having... Um a lot of uh, concise ideas about the luminous children coming in right now and that we are in this, this time of change that's going into this new era, right? This new age of Aquaria, the Aquarian age and how maybe why everything's ramping up so much since 2012 is because that was the initial keynote into that. And we're seeing it all happen in the physical right now as this literally this density shift is happening. It's really interesting that you mentioned 2012 because I had written about, you know, what I thought was going to happen in 2012 and conscious healing. And of course it didn't happen. And then I was, I was pretty disillusioned and I thought that maybe nothing had happened for a long time. And 
as time has gone by over the last several years, I've begun to think that actually something really major happened in 2012. It just took a while to manifest. And now we're seeing, we're seeing its effects. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, I, I believe that too. I think we tend to think uh, too short term. And, um, you know, we think when 2012 hits the exact date, we're going to see all this big shift. No, it, I, I think it initiated a whole new phase for humanity. And we're seeing that uh, kind of slow rolled out. So how many of the present predator class do you suppose are actually conscious and working consciously with these forces uh, that we're alluding to here? Uh, the vast majority. Mm-hmm. They would, they would, uh, according to this, to this work, according to John Lash's theory, according to, you know, my own, my own thoughts and observations, I would say that most of them are archontically parasitized. They're essentially human archons. Yeah. Uh, I know um, D- David Icke would agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he would. I mean, he, he wouldn't necessarily use the term archon, although he, I've heard him use it that on occasion, but it, it's a, mm-hmm. He uses other terminology, but um, and he's not necessarily coming at it from a Gnostic standpoint. I'm wondering if the the way that the densities work, if we can keep playing with the law of one material, that maybe the archons, because this is another thing, and it kind of goes new agey, it kind of goes to the emerald tablets, a lot of different uh, traditions, but the, that they get trapped in a certain density, and as we move forward, those archons are stuck here, while the higher consciousness service to others. Um, can move on. Have you considered those ideas? Uh, yes, I have. Absolutely. Although I would say that, um, well, you have two, two different types of archon in, in, uh, in this, uh, this framework. You have the, the aristocratic uh, Dracos who might have been responsible for the, the myths of the Anunnaki and that kind of thing, and uh, as well as uh, tales of dragons and and the serpent and all of these types of things and then you have the drones who are sort of uh they're they look like a aborted fetuses and they actually look like gray aliens mm-hmm. and that's probably what gray aliens are one of the reasons that one of the one of the problems when you go into the idea of the uh the archons being these mind parasites that are masters of simulation like in that that quote from from uh, on the origin of the world in your simulated world they've created a total simulacrum of reality and that's why the matrix is the perfect movie for the the historical time frame that we're in because it is it is literally what has been done. We've been put into a simulacrum and we're trying to operate in that. But if that is true, then it's, it's impossible to know which stories about extraterrestrials, if any, other than the archons are actually true. And so, so you have to put an asterisk after the law of one, the entire thing based on that one piece of, of data, just as a question mark, is this real or not? Yeah. Or is this an archontic type yeah. of download that is part of the control game? That's the you problem to, with channeling. That is you, the problem. You have to ask the question at the very least. Now, having said that, uh, there are some also, there's some really interesting uh, parallels that you could draw with something like um, this notion in some of, the, uh, some of uh, Carla Ruckert's channeling that uh, uh, I think it was raw. It might've been one of the other entities that she channeled 
who claimed that there were some of these six density beings who lived on the sun. Quo, I believe. Mm-hmm, quo, the quo stuff, the quo material. And you have these beings, these ascended archons who have left the collective called paralymphors in Gnosticism, who also have a relationship to the sun. Interesting. So there is a very fascinating connection. So, it, so it, it, you could say that we have the angels and devils right there. And we have a tradition with the ascended masters teachings and stuff that line up a lot with um, the law of one too. And there's a lot of esoteric traditions that kind of line up with those channelings. And it seems that's why to me, it seems like those could be legit. Bear and I are ones to first say, don't trust channeling. Um, but uh, that's why we like the St. Germain tradition, because there was no channeling. St. Germain actually appears in the physical, as many of these ascended masters do. Um, but the channeling gets a little weird. But there are a lot of syn- uh, synchronistic um uh, things that come up between all these traditions. So, uh, yeah, I love this stuff, man. I could talk about this all day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a so, real, it's a real mind trip just to talk about this stuff. So, Saul, that gets us back into your work and uh, just uh, solutions, which is what we like to focus on here. You know, in in my own uh, clinical work, we often had to deal with what we call energy cyst or in the old school, they called them entities. And a lot of these entities were literal, uh, you know, byproducts of people's own uh, habitual toxic thoughts and emotions. And others were actually projected into their energy field and, and you know, uh, set up housekeeping if, they were, if an individual is vulnerable. So uh, what we recognized always is that the, it's all about understanding the human biology as a musical instrument and learning how to play it. And, uh, you know, energy cyst or entities, uh, archons, you, you know, if you want to think of them as parasites, I also found in our work that there's a great parallel between, you know, which goes along with uh, as above, so below a parallel between people that had a, a kind of a tendency to have these energy cysts and also physical parasites in the body. And it was also uh, connected, and I heard you say this too, which it caught my ear because I, I agree totally uh, with my own experience. It was all about the, the sacral chakra, uh, not being able to move energy up uh, the central column, in which case all sorts of events would happen that would allow our DNA to transform and everything else we're talking about. And of course, um, a lot of people go about it by just focusing on raising the energy what we instead focused on was finding out where the energy was impeded upstream, taking care of those issues first. And then the, you know, the sacral uh, chakra would be able to rise in energetically and also be purified at the same time. But it was all about the impedance factor, not about just uh, a ra- or, uh, raising the energy. So yeah, in your own my language work, on that. Is, Okay, so in your own work, um, anything you can share about that? Yeah, I mean, you're kind of hitting on the fragmentary body piece. Um, that was a very interesting early, early teaching slash discovery that we, we have this problem in, in the second energy field, the second chakra, or just below it, really, uh, where the impedance is. And we, we uh, ended up... Uh, uh, calling that the fragmentary body. That was a name that was, uh, that we discovered elsewhere and we used it. 
Uh, and we, a lot of the work has been, of regenetics has been uh, focused on what to do about the fragmentary body because it is the, it is the energetic manifestation of the separation principle in, in the human organism, as I see it. And we, we mm -hmm. were born with it and it, it stops that energy from flowing up through the, the central column, as you were, uh, you were mentioning up into the, uh, to the certain areas of the brain and literally enlightening us. And, and turning us into uh, perhaps a, an ascended being, you know, um, or at the very least, giving us a lot of insight and 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 uh, fortitude and uh, courage. So, uh, you know, I'll take that on mass. If people just had that, we don't have to necessarily all ascend for for us to put this world on better footing. So mm -hmm. the the fragmentary body, as I as I visualized it, and as I as I you know, we did a lot of kinesiology with clients who were coming to us for allergy elimination work. So Lee and I were constantly recording uh, our findings. The, the fragmentary body is like a, a huge, like a, almost like a contrail as a in a in a on an airplane in a jet where it's just leaking out all of this energy. It's like it's not even like it's not even so much that it's it's being impeded and it's flowing back down. It's 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 leaving the organism. So we're constantly like a balloon with a little hole in it, and we're going all over the place, and we can't go in a straight line. <laughs> so when we did potentiation, and you know after after that crazy event in Brazil that I described with the lights, and we we did this ceremony the energy, our energy fields started shifting and our chakras started actually changing. And after about five months, there was a total reorganization of that, of the, of the, uh, of our energy fields, of our chakras that involved the plugging up of the fragmentary body. Literally like there was a hole in a nuclear reactor and a bunch of engineers came in and just plugged it up. And the energy that created was so intense immediately after that, that's called, we called that sealing, sealing the fragmentary body. I had this huge sinus blowout because all of that energy was flowing straight up into my head. And it was just blowing out, you know, mercury and everything in the world was just, just dripping out of me. It was just unbelievable. And that went on for several days. And then when I got to the other side of that, I felt so much better and so different and everything started to shift in a much more in a much more rapid and powerful way after that for me in terms of my health and my stamina and just my life in general so that is a an interesting so, i wanted to say one more thing about that because you brought it up and it's important the fragmentary body is also how how parasites uh, physical and etheric get in and stay in you don't have a fragmentary body you can't really have parasites and so maybe that's how the archons latch on absolutely and it's also how you get rid of them you seal the fragmentary body and some people even suggest that the chakras themselves are an artificial construct that was never meant to be uh in the first place if have you ever thought about yeah, I'll, that? I'll buy into that because what we what we discovered is that you you as you progress through these regenetics activations there are four primary ones you begin to create what we call a unified consciousness field where you still have elements of the chakras in play but it's 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 a great deal more fluid 
it's as if they're interpenetrating each other. It's more like an ocean of energy that's flowing up and down. And sometimes it might coalesce into eddies in these, in these areas where you used to have normal chakras. So it's sort of a both and. They're still sort of there, but it's more like an organic pattern as opposed to some, some uh, very discrete mechanical structure uh, that the energy sits in in these little grids. Mm -hmm. So you open up another great topic, which is uh, about dreams, you know, that maybe we're even living within somebody else's dream, uh, you know, and then you have the aboriginals uh, who should be called the originals, actually. Right, I agree with um, that. Yeah. <laughs> they and, have dream um, time, right? Yeah, the dream time. And uh, I found uh, myself, you know, to get downloads the way I go about it. I started practicing lucid dreaming about 50 years ago. And, um, and so I just kind of developed a way to program myself before sleep so that the dreams become very productive. And uh, also give me the information that I request, you know, before I go into the dream world. And, um, and, and of course, they take on a much more lucid quality at that point. It's not just chaotic dreaming. And then also, uh, and, and forgive me, I'm throwing out all sorts of stuff at you at once here. Uh, but also, uh, I find that um, you can actually do things in the dreams that will outpicture into your reality in your so-called waking world as well. So uh maybe however you want to start a little discussion into the dream time would might be fun yeah so so you know i wrote a whole book about lucid dreaming that's what snooze mm -hmm. snooze is about and and it's based on some of my own experiences with with lucid dreaming and uh and looking at some other even in the book they discuss the characters discuss lucid dreaming and castaneda and you know he has a in one of his books, I don't know if it's uh, the first uh, of the Castaneda books, the Don Juan, Teachings of Don Juan. I, I can't remember, but he instructs, Don Juan instructs Carlos to look at his hands or his fingers in his dream. And that'll, is, that the, is that the right book? I'm not sure about the right book. I, I read them all, you know. But you remember that, in that instruction, right? Oh, yeah, oh absolutely. When you can see your hands in your dreams, now you know that you're conscious in your dreams. Right. So that's really, really uh, cool and, and, and quite real. And I'm always fascinated by this notion that, you know, we're, we're living in a dream or in someone else's dream. But, if, but ultimately, again, when you go all the way, we're in our own dream. And um, there's, a, there's a wonderful book. I, I don't know if you're familiar with a, a psychologist named Arnold Mendel. Uh, he wrote a book called Dream Body. Mm-hmm which is really, really cool. And, and it gets into some of this. It's, it, you know, he's, he's uh, developing a type of psychology to help people get over various problems, but it's, it's rooted in the notion that we are in some sense, in, you know, inhabiting a malleable reality that has qualities that are dreamlike. So yeah. I, I, I buy into all of that totally. And this gets into the idea that we're in some profound sense, creating our reality all the time, whether we know it or not. We're either doing it consciously, in which case, good for us, or we're a, or a member of the, what I call the consciously unconscious. Yeah. Yeah. The science of manifestation is real. We've talked about a lot on this show. And I think that you can work on that in your dream state. 
And I think that's where we need to all be going is figuring out the science of dreams and lucid dreaming. And I know there have been oh, my dad, actually, when he was uh, undergrad uh, uh, as a psych undergrad, uh, there was an instructor uh, at UCLA who was doing out of body um, stuff with his students and meeting and flying around in Los Angeles together. And then he actually had a uh, a a student who was in a terrible um, motorcycle accident. Forgive me if I've told the story on the show before. And the uh, I got to get the name of this professor for my dad, but he came to the into the um, hospital there at Cedar Sinai, and uh, the doctors were saying this guy is going to lose his leg, uh, the tendons are ripped apart, and this professor actually was able to go into a lucid dream state in the room, go into the guy's leg and then see the parts that were damaged and fix them and heal them. And that's probably has to, that relates to shamanic traditions and a lot of things that the ancient mystics were doing, you know, even Yeshua and these great healers. I think there's something there. Oh, I do too. I do too. I think that, um, I mean, all this kind of comes back around to, to uh, these notions of time, space and space time. Because in the in the reciprocal model, this is Dewey Larson's reciprocal uh, mm -hmm. system of physical theory model. You, when you are in time space, you're in the dream world, and that would be where you go when you dream. It would also possibly be heaven. Uh, I pulled up a, 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 a an appropriate moment from Snooze. If you if you would uh, humor me, I'll just read a tiny bit because it's on the subject. And this is Max, the, the hero, talking with um, Professor Icarus, um, who's a professor at Maroon University. It's an Ivy League, a fictional Ivy League university. And he, they're talking about various things like time travel. And there, uh, there was a, a Russian scientist named Grabinikov who claimed to have time traveled uh, in a very interesting way by going in essentially into time space. And so Professor Icarus says, um, uh, you must realize there's no ontological difference between our world and the dream world. Both are equally real or equal, equally illusory, depending on your perspective. And then Max says, space-time and time-space are mirror realities. You're familiar with Dewey Larson's work? My father yeah, mentioned also it. Also disproved the atomic theory of matter. Right, right, right. So... So Max says, my father mentioned it once. And then Icarus says, he must have learned about it from your mother, who was an anthropologist. I know I did. She wrote a groundbreaking paper using reciprocal theory to explain the existence of cryptids, animals that supposedly don't exist, like the Loch Ness Monster, as interdimensional beings that live in time space, but occasionally visit space time. This would explain why such creatures are so elusive. She never did find a publisher. Why not? When you seek a path to any new truth, said Albert Gerard, expect to find it blocked by expert opinion. So it goes on from there. Mm. Yeah, I think the Jungian archetypes, I think why Jung's become so popular again, too, is that ties into this whole idea of our collective consciousness. And we have these archetypes that are, that could be literally become physical manifestations in, i.e. a Sasquatch or some sort of serpent being. And that they can manifest in the 3D, in uh, the space-time, depending on the power of intention and emotion and belief. And they would be they would be in this reciprocal model. They would be manifesting from the realm of blue of blueprints or from the dream world. 
which, which ties into DNA. And that's the physical, um, uh, you know, actual hardware that we have to do that. And one thing I brought up with Bear la- a couple of weeks ago, because it gets so frustrating when you're, when I, I'm hanging out with MDs and stuff, and we're talking about health and they, there's this mainstream concept of DNA that in genetics, where depending on our her- hereditary uh, background, um, we are given a specific timeline of what we're to expect in the physical due to our genes. Right. And, and this is destiny. What's it called? Genes as destiny. Yes. Genes as destiny, which is like what they explain as autism, right? Or they explain as a lot of these uh, new quote unquote syndromes and disease that all of a sudden appeared. Oh, well, that's genetic. We just didn't know how to, to, uh, uh, you know, differentiate it back in the day or define it. And I, it's so frustrating because I want, I just say, no, we are, we are emotional, spiritual. We have the, the different bodies that, that we are and that we can actually uh, adjust and change our DNA through our own belief systems and our own thoughts. I think that is so important. We have to, we have to crack that into consciousness because it seems like that is part of the arconic deception or whatever you want to call it as Steiner would call the, um, uh, uh, aromatic deception that we have already come into this reality with our genes telling us what our life's going to be, which just seems so wrong. Yeah. And if, if you want to tie Jacksonations into all of that and, and into Steiner, he also said that there would come a time when they would basically Jacksonate the God out of people. Yes, he did. Yep. That's what's happening. Of course, what the big scam is, is constantly trying to bring us away from self-determination you know, where, you know, we understand now the physics of it and just through our own experience that we do create our own reality. At least it seems pretty apparent to a lot of people. Uh, but, you know, we're constantly brought into, no genes uh, determine who you are. The government, you know, determines who you are. The, you know, we have all these things outside of ourselves. And it's, again, the, the, you know, the classic inversion of reality where we're going from the outside in versus, you um, versus the opposite. And I'm trying to remember the uh, quote, I believe we put it in our bio with you today, where you were describing that exact phenomenon, but you had a much more eloquent way of putting it. I don't you know. I don't referring the, to? the quote. I'll have to find it in a second here. <laughs> Let me find it. Anyway, um, but yeah, you that's, know, that's a game. You know, and what I love too, what you mentioned on the higher side chats, what Bear has been t- explaining to me for God, 15 years is even before what we have now, which is with these new injections, which are definitely um, designed to interfere with uh, uh, our antenna, the DNA. Um, even before that, all the other previous uh, Jabba Dabba do's um, uh, had the same effect with countering our ability for our DNA to um, be flexible and, um, and serve us. Um, and, uh, would you like to speak to that a little bit? Because I think this is one of the most pressing topics of our time. And I've, we've stressed on this, that the number one cause of, of disease and death and, and, uh, you know, just misery on this planet are the, those injections that have been going on for 200 years. Um, but now what are we looking at with these experimental next level ones? I mean, is this potentially, some have even gone to say this is an extinction level event. Now I won't go there because of what we're talking about today, 
But um, what is your current? Uh, and this may get us booted right off the the doom the the doom <laughs> the doom tube. But um, what is your uh, uh, your reflections on what's going on right now, Sol? Yeah. Wow. I, I mean, it's important to realize that we are in a historical context. There's a there's an article I recently um, republished on my my blog at, at snooze2awaken.com, and it's it's five historical Jackson scandals suppressed by the establishment, and so by Brendan Murphy. It's a really good writer. Um, I think he interviewed you. Brendan is a yeah. badass, and he's yeah, done he's awesome. amazing research in uh, reincarnation and out of body stuff. He's got an amazing two part series, I believe, on reincarnation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which takes all of the historical data, all the of the people who have um, who have really done amazing research in in more traditional, even um, uh, you know, university settings. Uh, and I've shared that to the uh, uh, Alpha Vedic group and people. Please go support Brendan. He is crushing it there in Oz. Yeah, yeah Brendan. Uh, Brendan is great. I was interviewed on his show. We need to get him on ours as well. But uh, go ahead with what you're saying, Sol. Yeah, I think I caught that show with you. It was quite. It was quite a while back. But um, yeah, yeah. He's just a very, very bright guy. He wrote um, a book called uh, the, uh, "The Grand Illusion: uh, Synthesis of Science and Spirituality," and you can find him at brendandmurphy.com. He's um he's also a regenetics facilitator. So it has been uh, for a long time. Oh, Truthiverse is the name of his podcast. I Truthiverse, believe. yeah. There's Truthiverse, and he has a community called Truth T R O T R O O T H that you can join. And mm-hmm. and I'm on there as Crow Rising. So you know if you go over to Truth and join, please please look me up. But in his article, you know it's frauds of the founding father, basic truths about Jenner, right? No oh, God, and yeah. then it's uh, these are the scandals, and two is smallpox statistics we were meant to forget. I mean, just lays it all out there. The city of Leicester, Leicester sanitation trumps vaccination, and that's you know we're, we're certainly not supposed to remember that. Vaccine campaigns were always known to cause outbreaks, and he goes, you know, so much data on that. And then the fifth one is statistical wizardry: when in doubt, white it out. <laughs> yes. And he does an amazing, he had an amazing show showing just how fraudulent the um, peer review system is in current scientism. Yeah. And- it's, it's scientism. It's exactly what it is. Yeah. It's, it's almost, uh, you know, some, uh, by some estimations, about 80% of scientific papers are, are partly or wholly fraudulent. Yeah. And, and but, but we are not, but we are not allowed to question scientism. That's right. That's right. I posted a meme not too long ago uh, on this exact subject, and it was it was you know it, uh, people shared it around some, and it was um, it was uh, like uh, about the science cult. It says, "Do not call it science if you aren't allowed to question it. Call it a belief system. Call it a religion. Call it a cult. But stop calling it science. It's yeah. not science. That's it's amazing sure. the cyclical nature of our reality. I mean, we're literally living through what the Catholic Church was doing a thousand years ago or whenever. <laughs> if you, I mean, we know history has been all manipulated, but the lab coats of today were the priests of yesterday, yesteryear. Absolutely. That's what, that's what we're seeing. So, so anybody who thinks that, that these Jacksonations just started uh, suddenly uh, with, with uh, what I call Novid, with Novid-19, uh, these vaccination, vaccinations just suddenly started um, altering our genetics now, and that wasn't the case in the past, <clears throat> they're wrong. They, they, they've been doing this for a long time. Uh, Dr. Leonard Horowitz 
has written copiously on this subject. And it's very clear to me, uh, based on my personal experience of my health collapse from vaccines and doing all kinds of, uh, of, of uh, kinesiological testing and then seeing what happens to people when they begin undoing that damage uh, through, through energy work primarily, it's, it's very clear that even old school vaccinations were taking diseased animal genetic material and sticking it in our own and actually changing to some extent our genetic code or altering the way the rungs line up and that kind of thing as, as Bear was mentioning earlier and changing yeah. the, our, changing the, the, uh, the, our, our, our modulators, you know, for, for experiencing reality. It's just been going on for a, a really long time. And when you do enough damage, you can create, you know, a total health collapse and you can actually kill people as well. And now we yeah. have, the new kid on the block appears to be the spike protein. And that's, uh, another, that's another type of toxin that is in these newer, newer vaccinations. And, uh, but it's, it's basically an add-on to a lot of uh, things that were already happening. I, I believe that there were already versions of mRNA happening uh, before that term even was out there because I think they've always been using a reverse transcriptase to, to get this foreign genetic material into our material. And I, I believe they're a lot more clever about this and we might give them credit for because I think the DNA now is purposely calibrated to more directly ping onto the other microwaves that they're, you know, that are pervasive in the atmosphere now and why they're so um, intent on unleashing 5G and that sort of thing. Um, I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that the, the, the mad rush to, you know, you couldn't go outside. We were all in lockdown. You know, it was a, a really dangerous situation. And all over the world, they were like a bunch of ants. They were feverishly putting up these 5G towers everywhere, right? Yep. And at the same time, they they have to get everybody jabbed, right? And so those two things are go together. They're like the twin towers of this whole situation, which we need to bring down. Um, they, or, they, yeah. and they And I believe that they can they can use 5G frequencies to activate certain latent potentials that have been seeded via these vaccinations. Absolutely. We're seeing it happen right now in small town here. Um, luckily, we are more remote, but in the small coastal town where my wife's an RN, they've had a quote unquote, the first now quote unquote COVID outbreak here where they've been overrun with people with, with crazy um, uh, hypoxia type conditions. And once you know it, I did a little digging and I've heard from a couple other people that uh, 5G was announced here, the service. And I went and I found the towers right in the center of town. There's two uh, in this little town of 16,000 people that are high and they put them really high, right? So they're really high in the center of town and you can see them from almost any direction. Uh, and then I went up to the coastal town and on the other side of the border, which is getting massive effects there. And they have four towers there in, in Brookings, Oregon. Um, and it's, they've all just been launched in the last uh, five, six weeks. So interesting uh, connection there. And my question is, because I've been researching this more and I know Bear's very in tune with this, is the concept of orgone or ether etheric inter, um, technologies uh, going to Wilhelm Reich 
and mm -hmm. these tower busters. And I was going to start making these um, with shungite and quartz and all this stuff, literally as a project with my kids, as a homeschool project, and start putting these around these towers. Have you uh, have you had any experience with that, Sol? Yeah, I, I built one of those years ago and um with some with some friends and we had some we did experience some strange weather anomalies from that I, I i can't really speak to anything else that i could i could prove in terms of what it did or didn't do um, but we built it uh, to to specification and and then had some really strange weather patterns for the duration of the time that i was i was in that that location so that was like interesting. more humidity yeah, uh, more rain, uh, more monsoon-like conditions uh, when that wasn't very typical for that time of year, uh, certainly. So, you know, there's probably something to it. Um, and I mean, certainly a lot of people uh, swear by it. And then there's a, a lot of interesting um, information on Shunkite, which there's a book about it that goes into the torsion angle and how, you know, you have you have negative torsion energy and then you have positive torsion energy. So apparently this, it has a very positive spin if it's actually real shunkite and it can sort of help counterbalance negative energies coming in. Uh, I know there's people out there drinking it, you're drinking water that they put this stuff in. I, I don't, I personally would never do that. Uh, I think that there's, there's a, there's um, a lot of issues with what this stuff there's fake shunkite. There's stuff that's come out of weird mines. Uh, it could be contaminated. You just don't know. But to use it energetically, you don't have to take it internally. So I'll say that. And you can actually just put it beside water or on top of like a Berkey filter or something and yeah. charge the water that way. Right. Yeah. So, so I might have... Water. Uh, go ahead, Mike. Well, I was just going to say here, I've got, I just picked up some more Shungite and we actually have been working with a company called Leela Tech, which is this cube behind me here, this infinity block, which cool. is, which is using this really interesting quote unquote quantum technology using different waveforms where you can supposedly take the, the waveforms of the Shungite, which um, is the code of it and charge it to other things. So my son literally was charging his mood ring with Shungite with the idea that he would then have those positive scalar waves or whatever you call that now embedded in his ring. I know this stuff sounds major woo-woo, but they have been doing some very interesting uh, studies and tests Leela has on the human body with the positive um, interactions with that, with EMF and stuff. So this is all fun stuff. And like, this is the counter technology to the, our, the archons, in my opinion. Oh, I, I agree. I think it, it can be a very big, uh, big piece of it. I, ultimately, I think all of it comes back to energy. I mean, we can, we can talk about maybe, um, you know, physical things we might do to de, you know, de, uh, de-jacksonate ourselves and that kind of thing. But ultimately I think that where the rubber meets the road is at the energetic level. And so like things like Shunkite, there's the book, uh, Shunkite protection, healing and, and detoxification. That's a, that's a really good book. I have that one and, um, I recommend it. I, I think, uh, you know, we can also use just, uh, you know, energy, sound healing or other types of energy modalities to to fortify ourselves to uh to uh to increase our resilience and our our stamina and raise what i like to call our our attractor field so that we actually bring more good things into our in, into our experience i think that's um, all of that's within our power and every little thing along those lines that people 
begin to do is, is a, a tiny uh, counter to, to this larger negative agenda. And if enough people are just doing these smaller things, I think we could really start to shift it without bloodshed, without revolution, you know, armed revolution and that, that type of thing, because ultimately it's, it's, it, it really is a war of consciousness. I, I, uh, that's, um, that's a point I, I make in, in my forthcoming book, uh, Musings from a Small Island. It, it, the, the real war is and always has been a war of consciousness. So we have to fight at that Absolutely. level. It's kind of like, you know, it's back to that conversation we were having about, do you focus on the phenomenon or do you focus on the epiphenomenon? Yeah. So, Saul, um, a lot of the concepts we've been discussing, of course, you brilliantly bring forth in more of a science fiction format. And uh, your latest book, Callie the Destroyer, you know, a great page turner that I'm eagerly uh, reading right now. Can you maybe uh, give us a cliff notes on that? <laughs> yeah, I, I can. I can. You want to read the, uh, the description on the back so that people have like an idea? I don't have my copy in front of me. Best friends, check. Illegal lovers, check. Mythological entities, check. Callie and Juice aren't discovering love. They're discovering they've always been in love since the dawn of creation. In this page-turner of a sci-fi tale set in an Orwellian future, seated in the dystopian present, resistance to the archons appears futile. That is, until the goddess and her consort spectacularly reappear straight out of ancient Gnosticism to take on the control matrix of the fatherland. Will the luminous child awaken in humanity before it's too late? Um, I mean, just that little uh, back page there would make me want to read it. Uh, so that's it. Sold. Yeah, well, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, I'm just glad you're reading it. It's really, it's really an honor to have you do that. Um, you know, the, the book came through to, to me in a, in a very weird way. I've, I've shared this story in some other, some other interviews, and I won't belabor the point, but I was actually given the entire plot to the novel through a kind of energetic download one night. It just kind of came at me all of a sudden, and the whole thing showed up in my mind, and this was pre-COVID. And the book is about a pandemic and vaccinations and the AI program and all of it. So it, I believe it came through for a reason, and that it um, I was meant to write it. I did, and I I faithfully wrote it for that the ensuing year, during which everything I was writing about was happening. It was just so bizarre. And I would constantly, you know, Lee, Lee who was, I was sharing the, my writing with her as it happened. And then I would write something and the next day something in the news would echo what, you know, what I had just been writing about. And it was just the most bizarre uh, experience. I've never had one quite like that. I also think, you know, this is not, this is a dystopian story, but it's not it is not a negative story. There, I, there is there is a silver lining. There is light at the end of the tunnel. I, I mean, I'm not going to spoil the, the 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 plot, but I, I will say it's 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 meant to be, uh, it's meant to be entertaining, of course, but it's also meant to be, in some sense, uh, informing, in terms of 
who we are, where we come from, what we're up against and what we can do about it. And the main thing we can do about it is endeavor to awaken the luminous child that exists in each of us. And how you go about doing that, I'm going to go out on a limb and say is highly individualized because we all have different, different uh, pieces of the creator's mind that we're actualizing. But we are all authors of our own experience. And this is where you get into this, that funny word authority, because when you have, when you live under someone's authority, you are allowing them to author your existence, but we all can be authors of our own existence. And so really we must take back responsibility for, for writing ourselves into the future that we want for creating, for creating in, a, in, a, in a, using the imagination for creating that experience that we desire. I love John Rappaport's work on this subject when he writes about the imagination. And I have a, a novel that I wrote years ago that I'm going to be republishing next year called Beginner's Luke, and I may tweak the title on it. But it's about a character who invents his reality. He's just constantly imagining, imagining himself into existence. And I put that out there as a metaphor for what we're all, all doing all the time. And as in the beginning, he's less conscious of the, of, of the power that he has and the responsibility he has. But as he kind of evolves over the course of the story, he becomes more of a conscious creator. Hmm. And, and of course, that's, that's, that's the hero's first... journey we're all on. We're all on that same hero's journey, which is learning how to do what I call uh, engage in conscious personal mastery. That's what we're, that's what we're working on is conscious personal mastery. And it really is a situation where if you heal yourself, you heal the world. Agreed. Agreed. And of course, the first thing we're taught in school is imagination is not real and uh, don't be a dreamer. You know, we want to be grounded and not dream too much. So in, in your book, uh, Callie, there's, uh, you know, the central figures, which I uh, assume are fulfilling certain specific archetypes in there. Uh, you know, you've got, uh, you know, different genders and races and, and all sorts of things. So anything you'd like to speak on on that as far as what they are, what those central figures themselves portray? Well, I will say that I, I'm, I've always been a big fan of Jung. I've always been a really big fan of Joseph mm -hmm. Campbell. There's also a great book that was written based on the, the hero's journey called The Writer's Journey, which if you're you know, into creativity, that's a fantastic thing. In fact, when I was homeschooling my son during his, uh, I, I want to say maybe his eighth grade we we read the writer's journey together after reading some of the a hero the hero's journey and and it, it was very very profound for him and it, it it impacted his creativity a lot i could just see uh what that did for him and, and it was good for me too to actually go back through that and and think about what i was doing because this was i taught this just after uh snooze came out and i realized that more by accident than by design i had done you know a, a perfect hero's journey <laughs> It's just completely, all the archetypes are there. They're, they're completely all there. But in this model, mm -hmm. you, you usually have a, you have a betrayer who looks you know, like, like he's a friend and then you're betrayed by this person. You often have, uh, you, uh, often have a, a, a teacher or an old wise person 
could can be male or female. I mean, all of these are are are, are in place. There's in in um, in Callie the Destroyer. I was really interested in, of course, uh, working with those types of Jungian archetypes. But I, I I I focused even more. I would say on the notion of sacred masculinity and sacred femininity because it really is a story about the goddess and the god and how they interact to to create us and 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 how they interact after our creation and that kind of thing so i wanted to i thought a lot about you know what what does it mean to be the divine feminine what does it mean to be the divine masculine how do they relate to each other is one more important than the other and and that kind of thing so these are these are some of the questions that are in play in 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 the relationship between Kali and Jews, and so the other thing there uh, that when you say it's, it's a romance in many ways, it's also a kind of a twin flames novel. But it's a cosmic love story yeah. because you're literally talking about this uh, this timeless story between two aeons and how they interact, especially after one of them leaves galactic center and ends up being kind of imprisoned in her own dream. I don't Fantastic. know if that answered anything there, but that's, that's what. No, it, it answered everything. I also love the concept of twin flame, which I think a lot of people just uh, uh, kind of think is synonymous with soulmate and, you know, that sort of thing, but it, it goes so much deeper. It really gets into the, 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 you know, the polarization of uh, maybe a single soul into the two polarities that go around the bend uh, and come back full circle and unite once again, right before they uh, make their, let's just say, ultimate exodus out of the simulation. So uh, wh like what is that. your concept like of a twin flame? Yeah, it's uh, very similar to, to that. It's, it's much deeper than the idea of soulmates, though it, it encompasses that. I, as you were talking, I was envisioning a DNA helix. Yeah, <laughs> and so so you know, the, the, there's so many connections here. And I I mentioned DNA and and the language of the birds. All of that plays plays. I don't know if you've gotten that far in Cali the Destroyer, where they're actually talking about some of these these energy healing concepts that we've been talking about. I don't call it regenetics or anything like that. I call it the language of the birds. Mm. But uh, the, the the notion of twin flames ultimately goes all the way back to, for me, would go all the way back to the our origins in this in this holograph, our origins in galactic center. Beyond that, it's kind of hard to say. You know, you have in the law, the law of one model where even if you manage to become galactic center once again, then you just pop into another first density reality and start all over. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, how many times does that happen? Probably an infinite number if, if there's truth to that. Exactly. I mean, if you're talking about so a one -one creator, it has to, the creation has to be infinite. It has to keep going. Yeah. Um, in, in the field of waveforms, we would say uh, it's unlimited, uh, not infinite, because infinite would maybe suggest that everything's already been created, but it's also the creation never ends and it just keeps going on in unlimited fashion. And I, I don't know, I'm just maybe semantics, but to be infinite almost makes it finite 
<laughs> rather than unlimited. I can, I can is, see your point. I can see that. Uh, yeah. You know, so you would have to say in law of one, you want the one unlimited creator. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and, if, and if you made yeah. a company based on that, it would be one unlimited creator limited. <laughs> That's great. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, and yeah, I know you and I in our personal conversations, we got more into the, you know, the waveform mechanics behind the scenes and everything, which the only reason why I like to get into that is because it for a lot of people that are really more, let's just say, entrained in the mental plane, it, it helps that analytical side just maybe believe that there is some kind of science or rationale behind it. But I know in my own life, I don't operate it at all. I'm just uh, kind of winging it by the seat of my pants, and whatever impulse I have in the next moment. Uh, but I, I think it's nice that we have some of this, um, you know, real science coming forth that can actually explain these concepts that have been here forever on the planet, everything we've been talking about. So what else, uh, you've been, you know, uh, great here. I, I could talk to you all day and I know Mike could too, but um, you know, we, we've been at it for, here for a while. So is there anything else you'd like to talk about, uh, you know, before we call the day here? It's funny, you know, that, that, that question always happens at the end of these, uh, these interviews. And I, yeah. I just, my mind just kind of goes blank because, you know, it, it's all of a sudden it's like, oh, I don't know. I could talk about anything. So maybe I'm just yeah. limiting my, I'm limiting my infinity or something like that. But I was, <laughs> I, I was going to say that, uh, that, you know, somebody, somebody like Walter Russell, I mean, that would, uh, you know, he played such a, a role in um, helping helping bring some some science to these concepts, and and um, many other people are doing that now, uh, doing their own versions of of uh, quantifying some of this and mapping it out, and helping helping the the left brain crowd understand understand that because uh, it's important. It's important to have both the left and the right brain function in. in understand and embrace this this uh this reality that we're talking about which is the underlying reality so if i if i could just close out you know my thoughts from this discussion i would say that follow your bliss you know to, to quote joseph campbell and in following your bliss it's going to help you create the luminous child if you can create the luminous child or even get close to it then you're going to change the world and if we more of us can do that the faster it happens and maybe that's what's going on this is the um propulsion towards that because so many haven't been living their hero's journey that the reality gave us actually gave us what's currently happening to propel people to finally do that yeah, I'll buy that. I mean, I like to spin things positive at the end, you know. Wow, that was uh, that was this has been such a great talk, Sol. We really appreciate your time. I am buying um, uh, potentiate your DNA right now. I'm going to jump right into it, and um, you know that's what you're doing. You're saying what because we do I, have. I think I sent. I think I sent Doctor Bear a copy. Uh, if he'll let you borrow it, you you don't have to buy it. Well, I, I'm going to buy it to support you, so I will buy it. And have it because I like to have it in my library, and I like to own all the books, you know, that from our people on our show that are that are awesome, which most of them are. So I have most people's books. So there it is. Bear's holding it up. And, um, and I'm not going to give you my copy, so you got to buy one. Yeah, all good. <laughs> uh, I don't. Well, mind. let me know if you guys end up doing the work, and you know what you experience, and and that kind of thing. I'd be very very curious to know. And you know, we don't have to. Uh, to end our end our discussion of these concepts here, we can take that into 
that into different uh, realms. Oh yeah, definitely. We're going to have you back on for sure. Um, and maybe uh, as a capstone to this too, I've seen on the, on God forbid Amazon here on this, they, they uh, are including, you know, how they say like, get with this and this, buy this with this and this, uh, they have tuning fork here, uh, which is something we talk about a lot. So um, is that something you recommend using with the book or is that in part of it is using the tuning fork uh, yeah, modality? The, the 528 uh, Hertz fork, the, the me fork for potentiation. And it also helps to have a hockey puck to ring it against. Oh, very good. Our Canadian brethren and sisters will like that. Um, that's, that's yes. uh, cool. Yeah, it's much more natural for them, that's for sure. So yeah, so you have a have that that'll work just fine. And now this uh, is uh, this is what I use. It's uh, kind of like a hockey puck puck on a string, and I actually tape it to my thigh when I'm working with somebody. That's so brilliant. Just, that's absolutely I brilliant. Can, I can bang it on my thigh, and and I use uh, multiple tuning forks at a time to create thirds and fifths or whatever I'm trying to oh, achieve cool. in acupuncture, whether I'm trying to sedate or stimulate or otherwise. Oh, I love it. That's fantastic. Brilliant. Mm -hmm. That's a brilliant little tool there with the, with the, uh, the way you've got that, that can be, it can be secured. Mm -hmm. Hey, yeah, so, so, yeah. so I always <laughs> tell people ha happy potentiating. That's, that's, that's the language that Lee and I use happy potentiating and, you know, enjoy the ride. That's what it's all about here. And, you know, to, to, to sum it up too, what we're talking about is that, um, you know, a lot of people are under the spell of, of the atomists of the materialists, right? The left brain. And it's really great to see that things like ice plunges, uh, things that become trendy, um, uh, the holotropic breath work uh, that's become really trendy in our circles, Kundalini yoga. Wim Hof. Yes. These are all things that are actually helping people tr uh, transfer over into understanding the true um, layers of consciousness that actually are the base layer of reality. And so it is like really becoming trendy in the West. I think that's a really good sign for where we're going. So um, I even and see it in very prosaic things like like uh, the way people are working out. There's a guy I've been following for a while called Strength Side, and it's all about primal movement and 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 just being able to work out in nature. We were out at a vortex swimming in a stream in Sedona on this recent trip. We, uh, my family and I took across the country, and and I'm out there on the red rocks, you know, doing all these like primal movements and push-ups and all this stuff, you know. And it's, people are looking at me, but you know, they also thought it was pretty cool. I think, you know, so. Uh, uh, well, that's that's going to change uh, the need for for all of these machines and uh, studios and me mechanized workouts. Yes, yeah, Kelly Starrett. I don't know if you're familiar with his work, "Becoming a Supple Leopard," but uh, relating oh, I love the title. Yeah, um, that's what exactly what the work is. There is like literally mimicking uh, animals in nature because they are inherently doing the right movements based on intuition and not letting their mind get in the way. Right. Mm -hmm. Which we, which we do. Well, so that, that gets back to original martial arts, you know, and in, in years past, I did uh, tons of animal forms. I still do them in Xing Yi. We do five element forms where the different uh, forms, you know, mimic or recreate the resonance of, of the different elements. And, um, 
you know, uh, they knew about this a long time ago. And then, of course, when you apply it, you know, with uh, in combat or, or just in your practice to create a resonance within your own body, it, it works brilliantly. And then you have things like Bagua that uh, you're, you, you know, with your movements, you're doing Walter Russell stuff where, you know, you're creating the, the dual vortex in one end, you know, going counterclockwise, the other one going in the oh, other I direction at the same time. Yeah, so uh, this this is all great stuff. And, you know, uh, you said, Saul, that uh, enjoy the ride. And I'd say those would be my parting words for the day is that, you know, it's supposed to be fun. And I look, especially at my demographic, people in my age group and, you know, people that are home watching the news and worried about their 401, 2Ks or whatever the heck they are. And, um, you know, it's just, that's not what life is supposed to be. We're having a blast here. We're creating things. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're having fun actually. And it seems like the most of the planet is, you know, waiting for the other shoe to drop. So that's really what we're all about here. It's not just doing solutions, but Hey, uh, let's, let's start having a good time again, because those joy levels are creating the residents that are the, the, you know, how we manufacture or manifest in the first place. More of that, please. Yes. And what's that come down to doing your art, whether it be how you grow your food or how you run a track or how you paint a picture. Uh, that's why we're here. We are the creative consciousness and that's what we're here to do is to create. So, uh, Hey soul, thanks so much. You're really embodying that in all your work and, um, the best place to find your work, I assume would be, uh, uh, crowrising.com. Yeah. Okay. Yep. You guys go support soul. Uh, he's got original paintings. Uh, of course, all his works of fiction and nonfiction. Uh, I'm going to jump into potentiate your DNA and I'm really going to, I'm looking forward to reading snooze. Actually, would that be something I could read to my eight and 10 year old uh, boys too? You think they would, they get a kick out of that? I do. I do. Yeah. Cool. I, it was, it was written as a young adult book that adults could enjoy. Fantastic. Cause we talk a lot about, so I've been training my kids on lucid dreaming and we talk a lot about Sasquatch. So, um, sounds like a perfect book for us. <laughs> hey guys, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us today. The conversations were wonderful in the chat. People are really loving this talk. Um, please go support soul, uh, any way you can. And, um, remember get outside, get your hands in the dirt, grow some food, go for a hike, Mother Nature is our best teacher. We love you. We'll say, see you next week for the final um, show uh, with Ron uh, about uh, land patents. He'll be answering a lot of questions and going through the process. Another very important thing to do. So check us out next Thursday. We love you and we'll see you next time. Cheers.